0: Welcome to Slalom. This is Slalom On Air, a podcast series sharing how our core values inspire our work. Real voices, real stories, real impacts. We at Slalom are known for celebrating being your authentic, true self, in the office and in each moment. We celebrate coming as you are, wherever you are, across the globe. This is Raising Your Voice, a podcast about Slalom people. I'm Jeremy Grunza. I'm a member and frequent contributor to the Horizons ERG at Slalom, where we amplify the voices of disabled, neurodiverse, and mental health communities. We are committed to being educators, advisors, and advocates for measurable change within Slalom and beyond. Part of that change comes from sharing stories from our members and how this community shapes who we are and how we work. Obviously there's a lot of ways someone could identify as disabled or neurodiverse. And a lot of people might associate things they can see with these communities. How someone moves around or talks or behaves. The thing is, as much as 90% of disabilities and conditions may be invisible to the external eye, this often leads to increased discrimination by those who feel these people are quote unquote faking conditions or do not need accommodations because they're not visibly struggling. So today, we want to build our understanding of the wide spectrum of neurodivergent and disabled conditions that people can experience by talking to two guests that live with these invisible conditions. So I'm Jelani Weaver, pronouns she, her.
1: I am currently a talent acquisition analyst at Slalom.
0: Our first guest, Jelani, is someone that wasn't born with any condition, but rather had an accident that changed her life in an instant. So I guess this is story time. Um, <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, tell us a little bit about your story and, and uh, if you don't mind. Obviously.
1: No, for sure. Um, so two years ago, back in 2020, I um, got into a bicycle accident. So I was hit from behind um, by a driver and was knocked unconscious. Uh, thank God I had a helmet on. My whole helmet was cracked in half. I don't remember anything till this day. Um, And so I I struggle a lot with like memory loss. So I have sticky notes all over my desk. Um, I repeat myself a lot. And it's one of those things where it's like frustrating, you know? So like I'll say something and then I'll forget or I'll do something. Like I, I have these things where I'll say if I light a candle in my house or something like that, I'll leave the house and I probably blew it out. But I don't remember if I did that. And that could literally be like five minutes ago. So like my memory is is really not well. So I play games like Simon says, like the little game that you can play. Um, I bought that to help my memory. Um from my accident I do with PTSD. So I'm I have like the fear of walking across the street. So if a car is coming by fast or things like that, like it's just one of those things where I like, I stop. I'll sit at the corner for maybe ten minutes and just stare. Um and
0: so that's that's something that I'm working through. I think a lot. I'm I'm a cyclist myself. I, I today I cycled into the office, for example, and I, I often think about, um, you know, could that happen too? And it's it's scary to even think about it. So I'm I'm sure going through it was uh, very very challenging, and I could see why it's it'll continue to affect you to this day.
1: Yeah, and then I have anxiety, so like I overthink a lot of things, <laughs> and um, yeah, I I'm in my head a lot. Uh, I have mood swings. And it's it's kind of like my mood can be up one day and I don't think people understand how that works. Like it, you could be just at an ultimate high where everything's going great and then the next day you wake up and you just don't want to do anything or you're just kind of at like a low. And so just trying to cope with that um, on top of, I'm a recruiter. So it's like, I, I would like to say I'm an introvert. (laughs) Um, but, but the recruiting side gets me extroverted. And so it's one of those things where like, I have to give a piece of myself every day to my candidates, to, you know, my hiring manager partners, different things like that. And sometimes it's exhausting. Sometimes, you know, I don't want to show up at work because I'm just tired, mentally drained, um, from like personal things. But, um, I think I've learned to like just work through it and then build a support system like on my team, like my people leader. Um, they're always asking like if I'm OK. Um, they're understanding like when I have doctor's appointments, um, when I let them know my situation, if I need just a mental health day, like they're just understanding with that. So it's it's been really, really great to, you know, work for Solomon, a company that understands, you know, that you have things and issues that you deal with on the personal side um, and you don't want it to affect, you know, your work. And this is how you cope with different things.
0: a question about um, one thing that you feel like people get wrong or could be better informed about your condition or the community in general. Anything that you feel like people often assume or get wrong or... I think just because somebody looks normal or in quotations, normal, doesn't mean
1: that they aren't going through something, you know, inside, like I said, like disabilities, not all disabilities you can see on the outside. So I think like just being aware to people's situations, if somebody uh, may not look like you or may, you know, sound like you or different things like that, like just open up and be curious, you know, um, and be understanding because uh, I feel like we we all have our, a story to share. Um, nobody's perfect.
0: Yeah, I, I think so, too. Um, all, all those things you said really resonated with me. I have a, um, you know, a, a family history of, of mental health. And, you know, that's something that you really can't see. And it's, um, it's often misunderstood as well. Um, you shared a lot about how you've kind of had to adapt as a result of this. Any, um, any other behaviors or anything you've, you've adapted as a result of, uh, you know, the condition?
1: I think just taking my time um, and not getting frustrated with, myself. I don't know if you've ever dealt with this, but like sometimes you just get frustrated and you're just like, why can't I remember that? Why can't I do that? Or why is this happening? And you're just, you're backing your head again. And so I think like just giving myself grace and like tell myself every day, like you're doing fine. You know, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Um, It's okay to step back, breathe, take a break. It's okay to take a day off. It's okay to, you know, feel how you're feeling. Cause I think a lot of times we don't like to feel our feelings, um, yeah. but I'm learning to my, ther- shout out to my therapist, uh, I'm learning to feel like it's okay that you're feeling a certain way. Your feelings aren't invalid. Like you, you have a reason for the, the way you're feeling and the things that you're doing. How can you, you know, how can you get over that? How can, who can you talk to? Um, instead of like having things bottled up inside.
0: Yeah. That really resonates with me as well. I, I had a therapist that you know, it sounds kind of cliche, but she had said to me, you know, it's OK to not be OK. Yeah, and I think a lot of times we don't <laughs> give ourselves that space to just not be OK. And it's, it's totally fine. Um, how does being a member of the disabled neurodivergent community shape who you are?
1: I think it helps me get a different outlook on people. Um, and just understanding where people come from, especially I know um, since I recruit and just when I'm talking to people and they're sharing their stories and what they've been through, like some stories I hear, I'm like, wow, like I would have never guessed, you know? Um, And I think it just helps me understand like people's backgrounds um, when it comes to like, you know, diversity and then inclusion as well and how people like the struggles that people deal with on a daily basis that we wouldn't see um, if we didn't talk with them. If we just walked past them at the grocery store, we wouldn't see what they're going through. And so I think like just learning and just being curious all the time about, you know, what's your story um, or just simply I think just asking people, you know, how are you doing? Cause we're so used to saying, you know, I'm good. And in reality, we could be, we could really be going through something. And so just genuinely listening and letting, you know, even people on my team, I check in on them like, Hey, how's it going? Are you okay? You know, and if something's wrong, I'm, I'm always here, you know, to listen. Cause sometimes that's what we need is like a coworker to just listen in, um, and just step back away from like the working world, um, and just have like some personal time.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really awesome perspective. I know, you know, I think it's a natural response for us when someone asks how you're doing, just to say I'm good or at worst, okay. And I think when you hear someone say I'm, I'm doing okay, they're probably doing a little bit worse than they're leading on. And, you know, it's a shame that we have to pry that out of people sometimes. But yeah, and, you know, being More honest, you know, if I'm if I'm feeling down, mental wise, or 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 whatever's going on, you know, I might not get too deep into the personal details, but I'll definitely say, hey, you know, I'm just not feeling it today, or, you know, I need I need to need to take a break here and do something like that. So I I would say that's how I cope. That and you know, I I spend a lot of time outside, and I think Mm -hmm. the outdoors is, is is really um really good to like. Replenish your soul, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yes, the sun is good.
0: (laughs) For sure. (laughs) So if there was one thing you had the power to change for the better, what would it be? So uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Shallow
1: How. I have actually. (laughs) I wish that that was a thing. I wish that instead of looking at people directly, like on the outside of them, I wish like people's personalities was what they look like if that makes sense <laughs> like
0: yeah. yeah if you could get a read on, on on what someone's really like just from their outward appearance
1: yeah because I think a lot of times we judge off of you know maybe appearance or different things like if we're not accustomed to it or if something's not familiar or, or it makes it us uncomfortable we start to judge it and I and I wish like we could just take that out and just look at people for truly who they are and, and see the good there's there I feel like there's good in everyone
0: next person I spoke to was Leslie, the senior data and analytics consultant out of the Boston office.
2: My name is Leslie Dill. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Been with Slalom for about three years now.
0: Leslie came to the community recently, in 2021. She arrived here from a diagnosis, not an accident, and identifies as both neurodivergent and disabled.
2: So... My background um, just personally has been very heavily in mental health communities. My family has a lot of people who are recovering addicts. You know, uh, my parents actually met in Alcoholics Anonymous back in the 70s. So just a really strong foundation about, you know, self-care, what these types of mental health situations look like. So that's the environment I grew up in. My own personal story with being diagnosed as neurodivergent and disabled um, was only recently. So I wasn't officially diagnosed until January, 2021. um, And it really changed my life. So the first thing was I finally had an answer to 20 plus years of why am I like this? Why am I time blind? And I don't understand the difference between five minutes and five hours. Why do I daydream when I know I need to be paying attention and learning, whether that's school or in the business world? Why do I get so upset when my routine is disrupted or if noises are too loud and I get overstimulated by sensations or sensitive noises? So it's not a unique tale. There's a lot of women and and girls who have ADHD or autism that are either never diagnosed or underdiagnosed because the clinical model has been predominantly male. And it's, you know, when people think of ADD, ADHD, they think of, you know, a little boy running around a classroom and and slapping uh, markers out of the teacher's hand or or just that stereotype. But for women, we're socialized to put a lot of things internal, Um, you know, it might come present differently, basically. So for me, you know, I was very talkative, I would always, you know, interrupt or blurt things out, but, you know, was told, you know, shush, you should be, you know, seen, not heard. Um, and that just kind of, you know, boilerplate social dynamics. Once I got that answer and I learned about my diagnosis and everything just clicked and it really did save my life. And And so now whenever people ask me about it, I'm very Open and honest around yes I am disabled I am a neurodivergent this is my story this is why it's important we destigmatize it because you, you could save someone's life if they don't understand the signs to look at especially in those underserved communities um like women or people of color we could miss it and and it's something that doesn't need to happen it can be prevented
0: I really related to the the mental health piece when I finally decided to get past all the stigma and, and Go actually talk to a therapist for the first time. It it felt like I was finally feeling like something I should have done a long time ago. But but finally felt like I had an answer to how I was feeling, which is really um, can be a really life changing experience for sure.
2: Oh yeah, even just the validation of this isn't in my head. I'm not crazy. Um, th- what I w- would always say is I'm not crazy or lazy, which are the two things people associate with underdiagnosed women with autism ADHD is you can't do it because you're too lazy to do it, or you're doing these impulsive things because you're crazy. And, and those are just so wrong. It's just wait, it's brainwiring. It's how you're developed. And I think that that's really important. And I, I appreciate you mentioning that too, because I know for men, it's also has its own stigma of talking about feelings and going to therapy. Yeah. So there's so many other dynamics and identity coming, you know, coming into play here. So I think that exactly, this is a great conversation to have.
0: Uh, one thing I was curious about you—you you mentioned that your your diagnosis came a, a little bit later in your, in your life. For you, um, did that change your perspective in in any way or, or shape?
2: Oh, oh boy! <laughs> you know, I know <laughs> that this is such an overused, stereo, um, you know, uh, what's the phrase? the matrix, red pill, blue pill, you know, the blue yeah. pill, you'll just keep live, you'll go back to sleep and nothing will happen. The red pill, your eyes are opened. Um, but I just can't think of another truer way of describing it of it just clicked, like a light came on and I understood for the first time, oh, it's not me. It's just the world that I'm grown up in and that I, I'm trying to live my life in is just it's really just not built for people who have these nuances and have this neurodivergence or or are living with disabilities. And I think once I realized that, it really opened my eyes and made me very passionate when it comes to things like the Americans with Disabilities Act. When I learned more about that, I didn't even realize that it wasn't signed into law until 1990. So I was already born. <laughs> like it's things like that where oh, I didn't but, even know
0: that either. Yeah.
2: It's, it's crazy. Yeah. They just celebrated, um, I think the 30, 32nd. 30 30 second? Second so. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to do math <laughs> real quick, but, um, yeah. And understanding the history of, you know, if I was born in a different time, if I was born 50 or a hundred years before, I, I probably would have just been put into an institution, <laughs> like in certain circumstances, it's just these little things where you realize that, this fight is still going on in 2022, um, is, is something I'm really passionate about. And I think it takes not just people who are personally affected, but others. And, and that comes with the destigmatization and the talking where if, if people are afraid to say, you know, they whisper disabled, like they don't want to say it. But it, this is a whole community of people that we exist. We want to succeed. We want to live our lives. But we can only do that if everyone buys in and helps us create that system.
0: Yeah, allies are, are, are really key in the recovery community. It's always there's a really big saying that, you know, you can't do this alone. And I, I find that's true for, yep. for most things. You, you really need a, a support system and a community to, to help advance a cause and, and really um, change things for the better.
2: Exactly. It's a
0: really good insight. So how does being a member of the disabled neurodivergent community shape who you are?
2: Yeah, so this one I I struggle with a little bit, and I think it's because I was so recently, like I didn't even think of neurodiversity, autism, ADHD as being an option for me until 2020 like that was the first time I heard one of my husband yeah well then fiance now husband one of his uh good friends she was mentioning oh I was in therapy the other day and my therapist mentioned that I could have ADHD and these are the symptoms and this is fitting what I think are all these gaps in my life of why I did things the way I did it you know why I had the challenges I had so I think for me it's it's really just hard to completely switch that in only a year and a half <laughs> from, Yeah. okay you know thinking yeah no i i'm you know super healthy and average and all these ways and then to go and realize oh wait i actually have you know several um disabilities <laughs> and i'm neurodivergent and it, it's it's almost a complete identity shift so sometimes i have a that imposter syndrome, where in the back of my head, it's like, you shouldn't identify because you were 32. when when you got diagnosed, and you it wasn't that kind of I've always lived with it, and I'm used to it, I'm still getting used to that concept. You know, it's been really amazing. But it's also been really eye opening in some of the more dark ways of of kind of the world. So
0: yeah, I, I think your your answer there is 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 really honest and your your perspective will change so much as time goes on. I have a you know, I am part of the recovery community and you know when I first was in recovery, it was like my perspective was totally different than it now that now than it is now years later, and it's um it's really eye opening how that changes when you when you have more time and you can reflect back on it. So I'll be interested to ask you that question in in a couple of years.
2: Exactly yeah, and I think it's interesting too because even explaining the diagnosis um to my parents you know my dad was a he's retired now but he was a substance abuse counselor mm-hmm. and my mom's a psychiatric nurse so oh, wow. a very strong just like recovery community just a lot of that but even explaining to them this is what autism looks like in women this is what ADHD can look like in women this is why I Like even to this day, they still kind of are like, sure, you have it. Like it's 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 crazy because there are these very educated people in this community. But they even there is a barrier of, oh, I'm not thinking of it the way that you're describing it. And that disconnect between reality and that kind of clinical diagnosis has been really um, it's been really interesting. (laughs) So I think that's why it's important to just be that person on, for lack of a better word, you know, a soapbox, (laughs) if no one else is is listening, maybe there's one person who's like, oh, this resonates. And, and that can be helpful, um, especially if you're not getting that clarity or support from your own family.
0: So back to dance month, is there anything you're really excited about, obviously, beside this podcast, um, that you'd like to (laughs) highlight that's coming up for the listeners?
2: The most exciting thing for me, I think, is going to be the Hacktober panel and talking about cybersecurity, because, um, again, I, there's just so many gaps in what is the current, you know, infrastructure, especially the technology, it, and some of those more, quote, unquote, invisible disabilities of, we you know, a great example is we have transcription, if someone's in the hard of hearing community, and we have some things like that, but if someone, is you know trying to do a captcha or trying to do one of the image puzzles or something and if if it's not very clear Mm -hmm. how that they can be accommodated i I think right there is an innate security risk so things like that where we're tying not just these identities and these communities but also how it applies to real life and and a great example is um with everything going on with you know just cybersecurity across the world um it's really just relevant as well so i think things like that are really interesting to me where it's almost like another take on something you wouldn't have thought of before.
0: Thank you so much for, you know, taking some time out of your day and sitting down with us to talk about your experience. Um, We're looking forward to Dance Month and I hope to see you at some of the events.
2: Yeah, sounds great. Well, thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to Slalom On Air. Tune in to hear more by following us on your preferred podcast listening app. New stories will be coming regularly. And if you're interested in joining Slalom, check us out at slalom.com careers.